Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. How about we say thanks to David? That was great. It's not always easy to get up on a microphone and that was, that was great, David. Thank you. Oh, Luke chapter 9, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And of course, we know it says 5,000 men. So I call it the feeding of the 5,000 plus, 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 because the women and the children, you know, there were a lot more than 5,000 there. And in that last uh, little bit of that there, we, we read this, we read that Jesus gave thanks and he broke the bread and we presume he broke the fish as well, and uh, sort of distributed it to the disciples. Now, where have we heard that before, that he gave thanks and broke the bread? Just keep that in your mind and ask yourself, okay, what other setting did Jesus do that? And I'm not going to tell you. You just keep that in mind. It'll become obvious a bit later. So here's your Bible quiz. What are the only two miracles recorded in all four Gospels? Okay, here's a hint. One was a miracle performed by Jesus, and one was a miracle performed by God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Here's another hint. Let's move on. There are the pictures. So come on, someone. What are the two miracles that are in all four Gospels? And obviously they're in there because they're important. So what's happening on the left there? Feeding the 5,000 plus plus. That's right. And on the right, we've got... That, that's actually a picture of a site just outside of Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb. And it's where archaeologists believe is the actual tomb that Jesus was laid in. And there's uh, some amazing experiences that, that we've had there over the years as Audrey and I have taken groups to Israel and we've sort of done a pilgrimage around Israel, which, by the way, we're just sort of, now that things are opening up, we're beginning to get a bit of a stirring in our hearts that maybe next year will be the time for another trip, another pilgrimage. And if you're interested, if that sounds exciting to you to come to Israel and um, walk, you know, go follow the footsteps of Jesus, then um, we would love you to come and talk to us. So both of these miracles are in all four Gospels, which obviously means they're important. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be recorded in all four Gospels. And they're important for a couple of things, but especially because they tell us who Jesus is. And that's the big question, isn't it? That's the big question in life. Who is Jesus? And the resurrection obviously showed that Jesus was God, only, you know, God brought Jesus back to life and, and you know, without the resurrection, none of us would be here and our hope in a future eternity with God forever, that wouldn't exist. So the resurrection is sort of the keystone of, of saying this is who Jesus is. He is God. He is risen from the dead and he is God. And we celebrated that just last week on Easter Sunday. And this week, it just so happens that we're celebrating another miracle that's in all four Gospels, and that's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And I want to show you today how that connects in, not just with Jesus sort of doing this nice thing where he, he gave people a free lunch. 
you know, every Tuesday night here, we have a free dinner and uh, people come and they enjoy that. They enjoy the hospitality of it. But there's so much more when they come to do with becoming a community, to do with becoming a part of um Christ's body because we share the, the good news about Jesus and so on. And I want to share today how the feeding of the 5,000 is, is much more than just this act of, hey, here's a miracle, gave lunch to everyone, that was great. So feeding the 5,000, I've called it hospitality, covenant, and gefilte fish because the three, the two big things that we want to talk about today are hospitality and covenant but I, I wonder how many people, who's ever heard of gefilte fish? Yeah, a few people. Okay. Let me tell you a little story about gefilte fish. By the way, on the left there, we've got uh, a man who is a part of this church, David Sykes. Many of you would know David. And he lives down on the lake. And David's a keen fisherman. And he goes out sometimes fishing all night. And he's caught some amazing catches. And that catch there that you see there was actually a record for a fish caught in Lake Macquarie. And he landed that baby in his little like 12-foot tinny, you know, can imagine the fight that went on there. But when we're talking about these fish in this story and the bread in this story of the feeding of the 5,000, we're not talking about two fish that look like the one that David Sykes caught here. We're not talking about that at all. In fact, on the right there, what you've got a picture of is a, a fish processing plant in Israel and they're processing gefilte fish. Now, gefilte fish is like a, can be like a fish paste that's made from carp and other fish, but the actual gefilte fish itself is more like a little sardine. And you can see, you know, roughly how big they are by looking at that, uh, that picture there. But the first time I came across this kind of uh, fish that is, is really enjoyed in Israel and eaten around the Galilee where Jesus did this miracle was back in 1983. And Audrey and I were young backpackers then before we had kids and we were backpacking around the world. We took a year off work and backpacked around the world and we stayed for three months in Israel. And we worked on a kibbutz, a communal farm there. But the, when the kibbutz gave us a weekend off, we went up to the Sea of Galilee and uh, with another couple and we found that there was this uh, ferry that went across from the western side to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and it went across and back every day. We decided that we'd take that ferry and go camp out on a beach on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, just roll out our sleeping bags and camp on the beach. Anyway, we hop on the ferry and uh, it was around about lunchtime and our kibbutz, our fu communal farm, had given to us this can of gefilte fish. And it's, like I said, like a can of sardines, you know. And so we got a bit peckish and we said, oh, let's open the filter fish and have some of that. But by that stage, we were sort of halfway across the lake and there was a bit of wind blowing and the ferry was rocking from side to side. And there were a few other people sitting on the top deck there with us who were looking a bit queasy. And we didn't realise what the smell was going to be like when we opened this gefilte fish. So we opened this fish and the next minute you see a couple of people just rush to the side of the thing and technicolor yawn <laughs> right over there. They were feeding the fish in the lake, you know, it was a bit of burly. 
But um, that was when we first came across these little things called gefilte fish. And look, when we hear about, when we read this miracle, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a natural thing that, hey, they must have been big fish like the one David Sykes caught. No, this is a miracle, a spiritual miracle. And you know what? Our physical lives are natural and our natural life is spiritual. You can't separate the two. What you do with your time, what you do with your thought life, what you eat, how you live, where you go, what you look at is your natural life, but it's all spiritual. And our spiritual life is natural because we as beings, human beings, we have a body, soul and a spirit. And they are one integrated thing in who we are as human beings. And so what we do spiritually affects our, the health of our soul, our mind, our emotions and our will. And what we do physically can affect our soul and our spirit as well. So this is, is a miracle that Jesus did. But I want to sort of explore the context of that miracle because we can't really understand what was truly going on there unless we understand, uh, we sort of get ourselves a little bit into the mindset of the people who were sitting there, the 5,000 people who were experiencing this miracle. We look at it from a Western 21st century perspective. That's nice, free lunch, you know, but there was so much more going on than that. And so I want to explore that this morning. First of all, the biblical context. The, that chapter in the Bible starts off with Jesus sending out his 12 disciples to preach and to heal. And they come back, they go out, they, they go all over Israel sharing about the kingdom of God and, and uh, God did miracles of healing through them. And when they come back, they speak to Jesus about, wow, this was great, this was amazing. And so, you know, what Jesus is doing here is, is training up his disciples. And we see this in the feeding of the 5,000 as well, where Jesus breaks the bread and gives thanks, but he gives it to the disciples to distribute. And in, in our um, faith community, we call that I do, we do, you do. That's right, isn't it, Pete? Pete's the expert at this. I do something. I might do a, a, a Bible um, story and explain it. I might interview someone about their testimony, about their life. But then next time I do that, uh, we do it with someone else who's going to ask some of the questions or do the Bible reading or whatever. We do it together. And then the aim is that the next time you do it because that, that was the model that Jesus used. He said, look, I, he, he modelled these things and then he said, now let's all get involved in doing this together. So he involved the disciples in feeding the 5,000. And then in the very next uh, chapter, he sent them out again. He said, look, I did. We did it together. Off you go. You go and do it yourself. Because Jesus was very much in the, in the mode of raising people up and training them in ministry. Um, you know, Jesus knew that he wouldn't be on earth forever and that the church would be the ones that would take on his ministry. So that's, that happens in this chapter as well. Uh, in between that and the miracle, Herod wonders who Jesus really is. There's a couple of verses where Herod says, who is this Jesus? And like I said before, that's the question. That's a $50,000 question. Who is Jesus? If he was who he says he is, then we need to take that seriously. 
And we need to think, okay, I better find out about this Jesus guy because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be a savior. He claimed a whole lot of things. Is he, a, is he the Lord or is he a liar or was he a lunatic? Who is Jesus? Herod asks. That's the big question. And in that context, the crowd there would have been asking the same sort of things. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? He teaches beautifully and he does miracles. Who is he? But in the very next verse, after these verses, Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. He's seen enough and experienced enough of Jesus to know that Jesus is God's Messiah. And then in the next chapter, Jesus sends out the 72. So he started with 12, and the 12 became 72, and the 72 on the day of Pentecost became 3,000, and the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost have become 3 billion today. Because God's plan is to build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. So that's the Bible context. And I know I'm going to spend a while on this, but this is important. So let's consider now the historical context. What was happening in history? What was their culture like at the time that Jesus did this amazing, um, this amazing miracle? Well, Remember that this miracle happened in the culture of what we call the ancient Near East. Today, it's the Middle East. We call it the Middle East. And it's the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations. And in those, if you've been over there, if you spend any time over there, you would have most likely experienced some amazing hospitality because hospitality was such an important part of their lives. Hospitality was like, um, it wasn't just a free lunch. When Audrey and I went to Israel last time, just before COVID, we had the privilege of going into, the, into Jordan, the neighbouring country, and we went down to a Bedouin camp that was only 25 kilometres from the Saudi Arabian border. So it was right in the desert, middle of nowhere, seriously, nothing there, just a couple of these Bedouin camps. It was so devoid of life, there weren't even ants, there weren't birds, there was nothing. It was, it's just too dry and dead, the whole place. But it's an amazingly beautiful place and the Bedouins somehow managed to seek a living and bring out a living in that place. And so as you can see up there, we stayed in those tents on the left. And for those of you that know Anna Borzostovsky here at the church, we met her son's twin brother, Dom's twin brother. There he is on the right. He was living in that Bedouin camp. He was our guide, you know. And we just went, oh, look at that. Dom's twin brother. What do you reckon, guys? Here's his family. You can see it, can't you? But, um, you know, look, the thing is, this guy and all of the people that we were staying with there, all of the Bedouins, offered this incredible hospitality. And at night they would cook these amazing meals, uh, often in the sand, um, heating up the sand around and, and cooking that way. But they would also, the meal involved sitting around a campfire and them telling stories and speaking to us about their culture and so on. It was amazing hospitality because hospitality, this sharing of food, was an, an absolute central part of their culture at that time and it still is today. It remains so today as it was in Jesus' day. Their hospitality was uh, not only about meals, which were incredible, but they offered protection. You know, you, you might say to us, you're in the middle of the desert with these Bedouins. Weren't you scared? 
But we never felt in any way threatened or scared once because, in fact, a part of the idea of eating together like that and coming into a relationship like that was that they have a responsibility under their culture in, as a part of their hospitality to offer protection as well. Not just food, but protection is a part of the hospitality. It's sort of like saying, you're part of my family. You know, when you when you partake of my hospitality, I will protect you just like I would protect my family. And if we think way back to, you know, those of us that that those of you that know the Bible a little bit, the Old Testament, think back to Abraham, who God called and made a covenant with, made this agreement with that he would bless Abraham and give him uh, many descendants and give him a land to live him, live in, that he would prosper him and protect him. Um, that covenant of God's protection and provision for Abraham was also the character that he built into Abraham because Abraham himself became someone incredibly hospitable who provided and protected those under his care. And, you know, you might remember the story of how Abraham was sitting at his tent one day and three people came by and he didn't let them pass by. He said, hey, come in and have some food. And, he, you know, he went to incredible lengths to prepare a meal, but the meal also involved he sat down with them, built a relationship with them, um, got to know them, and they sort of became a part of his community. And uh, we if, if you know the, the story, really, they went on and it became apparent that this, at least one of these guys was an angel, but probably all three were angels, and um, that Abraham had entertained and offered hospitality to these angels. And God, that day, sealed the covenant that he had with Abraham. One of the strangers said, this time next year, your wife, Sarah, will have a baby and that will be the seal of the covenant. And, you know, Sarah laughed and said, I'm 100. How's that going to happen? As you would. But, but God sealed the covenant there through that, around that table, around that table of hospitality. The other, the other opportunity we had to experience that near, near ancient Near Eastern, Middle Eastern hospitality was that we spent a night in the Negev Desert, so down near the Dead Sea in a, in a big Bedouin. It was sort of like a, an Airbnb in the desert. There was nothing else around for like tens of kilometres um, and it was in the desert but it was, it was a, uh, a Bedouin-based hospitality place. And the man who you can see in the bottom right there was the man who ran that place and he was actually the leader of that clan. And he, over the hospitality, as we ate with them and drank Bedouin tea, which is just beautiful, love Bedouin tea, but as we sat down with him, he explained to us what hospitality meant in the Middle East. And he talked to us about how when we came and ate at his table, we came under his protection, we came under his provision, that we became in a way a part of his clan and that we were expected to be faithful and loyal to that clan and faithful and loyal to him as the head because eating together entered, brought us into a covenant. It brought us into an agreement. It brought us into a relationship which was actually quite formal 
um, it wasn't just a, an informal thing. It was a formal um, relationship and agreement that we were having. So I'll just read this out to you. Hospitality was especially important as it cemented clan loyalty and cooperative military relationships between clans. Covenant agreements. These covenant agreements were cemented by a meal and marked a membership of a community, a community which offered protection and provision. And here again, you can see the head of the clan there on the right explaining all this to us and talking about, you know, the culture and how it, it's so different to, to our culture. And so if we bring this back to the feeding of the 5,000, that meal, as humble as it was of bread and fish, provided by Jesus and his disciples, was a sign of covenant. It was a sign of a much more than just eating a meal together, but it was a sign that here was this clan leader, Jesus, who, who was he? They were, they were asking, is he a prophet? Is he a, a mighty person? Is he a political leader? Who, who is this guy? So Jesus was making a new covenant. God was making a new covenant with the people of this world and it was sealed with a meal. It provided protection, a community, and favour, the favour of the person offering the meal on those gathered. And it was all a part of the new covenant. Now, if you're thinking that's a bit fanciful, let's go, let's move on to the next slide. And let's and and here on the left, you know, is that famous painting of uh, the Last Supper. Actually, looked nothing like that, but um, that's a, a Middle Ages view of what they thought it might have looked like. You know, white Jesus with all his white disciples. You know, <laughs> they were all Middle Eastern Jewish. <laughs> they wouldn't have looked like that at all. Neither would they have been sitting at a table like that. But anyway, that's enough about that. <laughs> Because the, because the gist of this is that at that meal, which was the Passover that Jesus ate, Jesus formalised the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man. Because when Jesus broke the bread, he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And when he took the cup, you can see that little cup there on the right, that's that was the cup that we took at the garden tomb in just outside Jerusalem. When he took that cup, which, which is a part of the Passover meal, it's called the cup of redemption to the Jews. He said, this is my blood. And he said this, he said, this is my blood shed for you, which is the new covenant I am making with mankind. God entered into a new agreement with you, with me, with all of us. It was an agreement that we had to accept that we know we couldn't keep the law. We know that none of us have lived perfect and pure lives, but it wasn't dependent upon the lives that we had lived. It was dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus' body and his blood. And we celebrated that last Easter uh, last weekend at Easter, and when Jesus broke the fish and the bread there on the hillside by the Sea of Galilee, the people there would have understood in their minds that this leader is breaking bread with us, 
is inviting us into his dining table and into a covenant of provision and protection with us. It was, look, there are so many layers to this story, so many layers that you could bring out. The little boy who offered his loaves and fish, he's not even in this version, he's in some of the other Gospels. We could make a whole story around that. What do you bring to Jesus? It might be only small, but he can take it and do miracles with it. There are so many layers. There's the layer of the disciples being trained and raised up. I do, we do, you do. But today I just want to talk about these two things. First of all, covenant, and secondly, hospitality. And they'll come together at the end. So let's just move on to hospitality. Sorry, Fernanda, I didn't ask your permission to put this photo up there. Do you mind if I put this photo up there? (laughs) You know, there's that saying, isn't there? It's always better to ask forgiveness than for permission, you know. Hebrews 13, chapter 2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And that's about the story of Abraham. And, uh, you know, it says showing hospitality to strangers. So I've got a picture of two strange people up there on the... No, 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 that's not it at all, actually. No, what I've got up there is a picture of two very hospitable people. And on the left, you've got a picture of Fernanda my ministry assistant, at the um, community dinner, presenting someone with a birthday, little birthday cake with just one candle on it. But in the context of the meal that we share and the community that we enjoy together, some of the people at our faith community have not for years, and in some cases not ever, been celebrated, been welcomed into a community, had their just their own self celebrated by celebrating a birthday. And it's an incredibly special and meaningful thing. And they enter into more than just a little piece of cake. They enter into a relationship with our faith community and they become a part of that. And we, we just pray for them and with them for them to come to know Jesus as well and become a part of his community. So that's an important part of our hospitality each week at the faith community. On the right, you've got Shep, who is uh, stepfather to people in this room and granddad. And he is an amazing man, a mighty man of God who does incredible things around here. Retired several years ago as a pilot. He's a part of my Connect group. And at our Connect group, every Friday night, well, whenever we have Connect on a Friday night, we have dinner together. People bring a meal and we sit down and we have the first half of our Connect is eating together because eating is such an important thing in um, in building relationship and building not only um, not because we not only because we get time to talk to each other, but eating together builds an emotional relationship. It, it, it sort of builds this positive feeling. When you sit down and you have a nice meal with someone, it just builds this positive feeling, this attraction. And let me tell you a little story. When I was a teacher, for the last maybe seven or eight years that I taught, I taught studies of religion to kids in year 11 and 12. And sometimes, you know, you would get kids that come, oh, yeah, I just chose this subject because I couldn't think of what else to choose. And they'd say, and I hate it, you know, I just come because I have to, I, you know, I, I want to I actually be a 
garbage man and this has got nothing to do with it, you know, so I'm not going to listen to you. And they had this negative emotional thing, oh, got to go to class. So what happened was I tried this little experiment and every week at Granary Care we get in like bags and bags of bread from bakeries that give it to us at the end of the day and the next day we give it out free and distribute it and so on. And I would, I would skim off a few of the nice bread rolls and the nice uh, buns and that sort of thing and take them to my class because I was only teaching part-time and, um, you know, don't say Paul stole bread from poor people, okay? <laughs> it's not that at all. Every week, we, every week we have plenty left over. There was always some left over. I know what you're thinking, Matt Nichols. I know what you're thinking. But there was always plenty left over and I would take it to my class and when they came into class, there was this beautiful smell of bread. And there were all these cakes and buns, cinnamon buns and stuff and I, I'd let them eat while we did class, you know. I mean, to me, I don't see why not. It's just one of those rules that schools have. Anyway, what it did was it created this positive emotional connection between the kids and the, and the actual class that we were having because what do we got next? SOR, great. SOR, the bread's going to be there. And when a kid comes with a positive emotional connection expecting something good, they're much more open to learning. You know, they're much more, much more open than when they come and go, yeah, we're going to sit down and listen to Westy talk for 45 minutes, you know. It's, it's, there's this positive emotional connection. And you know what? When it comes to things like Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, he wants us to come to him not just in spirit, not, not just to have our spirits renewed and to come to life. That's important. That's the basis, to be forgiven, to turn around and to turn away from our sin and to come to new life and be made a new person. That's important. But he also wants to touch your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. He wants that, that whole, it becomes a holistic thing, a holistic thing. You brought your body with you, didn't you, Carl? Didn't you? Yeah? He brought his body with him today and uh, you know when you bring your body your soul and your spirit come as well um, and these things are all one we're an integrated being we're an integrated whole and God today wants to touch your emotions you know he doesn't want us to be a people who are constantly broken and suffering whatever it might be shame and guilt and um, you know just suffering from emotional issues and look I, I'm not trivializing that um, Anxiety and depression are huge issues in our society at the moment. And we do run a course at this church called Hope Beyond Anxiety and Depression, a 16-week course that helps people to work out their emotional uh, issues. We have prayer ministry people like Colleen, Kerry, Andrew, several others that are here, I'm sure, who's, who will sit with you and help you to work through the brokenness of your soul, the way you think, your emotions. They're happy to sit down with you for hours at a time and help you to work through those things. So I'm not trivi trivialising it, but I am saying today that when you enter into a covenant, the new covenant with Jesus, when his Holy Spirit draws you and you come to know him, it's something he's drawing you as a whole person, your body, your soul, your spirit. And God's, the Holy Spirit starts to chip away at, uh, at, at all of the things in our life which are stopping us from entering fully into the provision 
and protection and blessing and favour of the new covenant. So let's just quickly move on. Now, someone pointed out to me, because this is a picture of my family a couple of weeks ago celebrating a Christian Passover ceremony, and someone said to me, you better point out to them that there were two different bottles of wine on there. <laughs> one was alcoholic and one was non-alcoholic. So no, we are not teaching our kids. We're not loading them up with alcoholic wine. The kids had the non-alcoholic stuff, okay, um, and, and the adults could choose whichever they, they wanted according to their conscience. So I just wanted to point that out before you have a go at me. But that meal, that meal, you know, as a family, whenever we celebrate that meal in the presence of God and, and we celebrate the Christian um, fulfilment of the Passover meal, where, which was the setting where Jesus actually broke the bread and, and took the wine and brought in this new covenant, he celebrated it within the context of this incredibly meaningful meal. And uh, it was the beginning of the Easter uh, weekend where where that happened. And so I just want to say to you this this morning, this is what I'll finish with, that when we enter into a covenant with Jesus and it was symbolised by the feeding of the 5,000 when they sat and they ate with him, things would have happened more than just the feeding of their body. There would have been a stirring of their emotions. Jesus drew people to himself. Why do you think there were 5,000 there? Because people were drawn to him. They were drawn emotionally. They were drawn mentally by their curiosity. Who is this man? They were drawn spiritually. Is this the Messiah who's going to change our lives forever? And for us, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your body and your soul and your spirit, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And in all those things, Jesus, when he died on the cross, entered into a new covenant with people that would bring a wholeness and a forgiveness and a grace and a freedom from shame and guilt that mankind had never known before. And that's for you and that's for me. Is it good? You bet it's good. Let me tell you about the new covenant. It's a covenant of grace, a relationship with God freely given. It's a covenant of mercy. Our sin deserves death, but because Jesus took our punishment himself, we've got mercy and forgiveness. It's a covenant of God's favour and blessing on our life. Uh, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. When Jesus died on the cross, the curse of um, not being able to follow the Lord, not being able to be perfect, Jesus took that on himself and all it left was the blessing of the law. Read Deuteronomy 28. You'll be blessed when you go out, blessed when you come in, blessed in the city, blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. You'll be blessed in your uh, ability to gain wealth and to work. And, and, you know, we need to appropriate that and believe it. This is the new covenant, not curses, blessings. It's a covenant of health. By his stripes you were healed. It's a covenant of well-being. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, do you know it, power, love, and a sound mind. And again, I'm not putting anyone down who's struggling with mental health issues or anything like that. I'm just saying that as you press into Jesus, as you press into this covenant of his grace and his goodness and his favour, you will find he's addressing those things in your whole being, your mind, your will, your emotions, your soul, your spirit, your body. It's a covenant of provision. 
Um, my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's a covenant of victory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a covenant of empowered faith to move mountains. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will. It's a covenant of meaningful service to God and others. The greatest among you shall be your servant. It's a covenant of new life. I've been crucified with Christ. If or 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's a covenant of hope for a future feast. Revelation 19, the wedding feast of the Lamb has come. We are, that's our hope. That's what we're looking forward to in eternal life. It's a covenant of eternal life. And this is the testimony that God has given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son does not have life. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. That's assurance. It's a covenant of assurance. We don't have to wait till we get to our passing moments to sort of see whether God will accept us or not. If Jesus is your Lord, you have that assurance. That's the testimony. It's a covenant of assurance. It's a covenant of forgiveness, freedom from shame and guilt, two of the things that really plague our society and plague human beings as we're forgiven and made new every day, every morning. It's a covenant of protection. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a, that's what he wants. He wants us to be protected. He wants to deliver us from the evil that is afoot in this world. It's a covenant initiated by God, fulfilled in Jesus, and brought to life by the Holy Spirit. It's a covenant of new wine and feasting on the bread of life, drinking the living water. A covenant of becoming fishers of men. Wow, how could you not want that? That is amazing. So let's Today, I'm praying that your response can be one of worship, that we can recognise that hospitality comes from the heart of God. And you know what? Hospitality is a spiritual gift as well. There are people in here who are incredibly hospitable. And sometimes, you know what? If you've got a gift of hospitality, um, you can do what we call gift projection, which is you can go, we, we always have people at our house and they never have us back. Anyone ever? Oh, I won't get you to put your hand up for that one, you know. But I know you have. I know you've said that if you've got a gift of hospitality because you're sort of projecting, hey, why isn't everyone like this? It's because you've got the gift. It's like prophets sometimes say, oh, yeah, everyone can do it. Well, I've, I find it. I don't know. I can't. I, I don't do it. It doesn't come easily. I'm not, that's not my gift, you know, my spiritual gift, um, although God can use me to operate in those things and he can use you to operate in anything. But there are people with the gift of hospitality. Use it. Let's encourage them. And if, and if that's you, use it to the full because it's a covenant thing. You want people to come into covenant with your God? Bring them into covenant with you. Bring them into that meal where you can be honest and talk to each other. Oh, one last thing. Sorry, I prattle on. The Love Languages book, Five Love Languages. Hospitality is the sixth love language and it encompasses all of the others because when you eat a meal with someone, 
It involves physical touch. It's a very physical thing. You're eating and you're smelling and so on, the, the beautiful food. So it involves physical touch. It involves words of affection because you sit around a table and you hopefully speak nice things to each other, you know, around the, around the dining table. So uh, it's physical touch. It's words of affirmation. It is one of the other love languages. Come on. It is a gift. It's a gift that you're giving to that other person. Then there's quality time. It's quality time spent together. And the fifth one is acts of service. It's an act of service because you, you know, you serve them and when they, at the end and they say, do you want help washing up? You go, no. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Maybe you'll let them. I don't know. Yeah, we let them. <laughs> Look, there's a gift of hospitality that God has and Jesus had it. Not only that, he loved to benefit from other people's hospitality to the point where people called him a glutton and a drunkard. Hey, that Jesus, he's a glutton. He just goes out eating with sinners and that all the time. And he's a drunkard. He drinks wine. But he loved to give hospitality as well. And God's offer to you this morning is to come and experience the full hospitality of the kingdom of God. Come to that feast. Come to that table where God will not only put food on our tables, but he will bring to life our spirit he will bring healing and restoration to our souls. And even all of that works through into our human bodies. Father God, we thank you this morning for our Lord Jesus and the amazing provision and protection that he gives to us. And Father God, I pray that through, um, through hospitality and through the covenant uh, that you have, you have revealed to us, that you will reveal to those in our lives, Lord, to our children, to our family members, to our neighbours, to our workmates, that you will reveal your goodness. And we pray that there will be revival, Lord. We pray for salvations and revival in this city. And we pray that you will turn our nation around. In Jesus' name, amen. If you stand to worship, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Give the glory to him. Hey, if you stand to worship, let's stand. And our response right now is to worship him. You don't have to stand. You can worship sitting down. You can worship on your knees. Um, but let's, let's respond in worship. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.